The Linux Action Show is created by Jupiter Broadcasting. It's sponsored by Ting. Go to last.ting.com to save off your first device or plan and DigitalOcean. Go over to digitalocean.com and use our promo code LASTDIGITAL and then you can spin up your own Linux rig for free. Welcome to the Linux Action Show, episode 395. My name is Chris. My name is Noah. Hey, Noah. Good afternoon to you. Guess what? We got a big show coming up on today's episode of the Linux Action Show. We're going to review the fresh KDE Plasma Desktop 5.5.0. They released it just a little bit earlier this week. This release has brand new looks, brand new fixes, like literally thousands of them, and a few new secrets, plus a bunch of really great applications for the desktop have been updated this week as well. So we're going to give you our full take on the brand new KDE Plasma 5.5 desktop and its associated applications. In the news segment, we're going to tell you why you won't be hearing about Mozilla Firefox phones anytime soon. While Microsoft actually has a Linux cert for you, which kind of is blowing my mind right now, and I'll tell you about it. And then some really good news for the vendor firmware project that was announced a couple of weeks back on the show, uh, and a big vendor that's getting in to make it really easy for you to update your firmwares on your Linux. Then we got the feedback coming up towards the end of the show, but Noah, do you know what we have before all of that? The picks! Yeah, we got the picks. We got the picks. Also, a special good morning out there to everybody, or good afternoon to everybody in the JBLive.tv chat room who joined us on this Friday. So check this thing out, Noah. It's called the Pine 64, and it runs Linux. That's, this is our first pick this week. The Pine, not no, not the Raspberry Pi. This is the Pine 64, and it is only $15. I got a little video for you, Noah. Brace yourself. This is... Uh, now, uh, this that they that I I, I got I do mean brace yourself too because they do mention Apple at the beginning of the video, but this is a Linux rig. Okay, are you prepared for that? Uh, just, I'm, I am. I'm sitting okay. in my seat. I'm strapped down. Right. Okay. Ooh, cool when I music. started at Apple, Steve's sister Patty was plugging the chips onto the boards on the coffee table in the living room while she watched the Gong Show. <laughs> I'm pretty much the person who built um, most of the Macintosh prototypes. There was just no access to technology the way we have it now. The Apple One was a watershed event in terms of price and capability and the average person being able to own this computer. The Pine 64 is um, an improvement beyond my wildest expectations. Introducing the Pine 64. The Pine 64 is a fully expandable 64-bit quad-core single-board computer with a 1.2 GHz 64-bit ARM Cortex CPU, two USB ports, an Ethernet port, and a full 4K HDMI output. The Pine 64 has everything you need to build your next project. Purchase the basic unit to run Linux or Android or add-on components to create your own custom computer. We're constantly developing new modules for the Pine 64 platform, such as a 5 megapixel camera, Bluetooth 4.0 and Wi-Fi card, lithium battery, or even an LCD touch panel, just to name a few. The Pine 64 also has two I.O. expansion ports, compatible with many other components, such as Z-Wave, Zigbee, and X10. For the price of a meal, the Pine 64 is a fully-fledged computer. It's so 15 bucks, Noah, for this thing. And I, I got the hardware specs for you, too. They're not uh, super, super forthcoming on the hardware specs, but I did grab them. And uh, I also tossed them in the show notes if you guys are curious about it. But uh, it looks like it's got decent uh, uh, decent uh, specs-wise. Um, let's see here. 1.2 gigahertz CPU, dual core, 
uh, 4K HDMI like you heard in the video, 64-bit. Uh, oh, I'm sorry, it's a quad-core processor, and they've uh, they've put uh, a wireless a, a GBN Bluetooth 4.0, USB 2.0 for uh, connectivity, micro SD expansion, and they've tested it with OpenWRT, Ubuntu, XBMC Media Center, and some other stuff. Oh, also, uh, probably the biggest thing that I almost just completely left off: gigabit Ethernet and a gigabyte of RAM. Wow. You know, you know what it makes me wonder. It makes me kind of wonder if the if if this guy when he worked for Apple, if if he didn't go in with kind of a vision of you know getting you know making everyone a geek or letting all the geeks experience this cool new piece of technology, and at the time the best way that was available to him or the only way that he thought that could succeed is to work for a company that produces proprietary product. And, you know, and sells it for a ton of money. Well, the, it, was, it to, wasn't even, you know, the, the market back in, you know, in the late right. 70s, early Different 80s world. was, yeah. Uh, so it, this is kind of, a, this is kind of, a, this is kind of amazing though. A quad core 64 bit A53 processor and a gigabyte mm-hmm. of RAM for 15 bucks. And it does 4K video out too. Hmm. That's, that's that is, that is really something. We got additional links in the show notes if you guys want to check it out. It just that would be a pretty powerful and cheap runs Linux. Uh, I could see, and you know, I could see myself building a little media center out of that thing, with mm-hmm. some with some mm-hmm. dis, with some room to grow. Kind of neat, kind of neat, kind of neat. And they have more information at pine sixty four dot com. I don't think there's anything to buy yet. It's not a Kickstarter. They just have a website you can go check stuff out at. So pine sixty four dot com. We have a link in the show notes. And the video in the show notes. No, I want to tell you about DigitalOcean. Holy smokes, DigitalOcean for $5 a month could be your secret weapon. Simple cloud hosting, really, really nice, all based on KVM and Linux, SSDs for the hard drive, HTML5 console, great data centers all around the world, super, super nice interface, and an API that already has tons of community open source code built around it to take advantage of a lot of nice features at DigitalOcean. And they're always rolling out new stuff, too, like floating IPs, FreeBSD, CoreOS, the latest releases of Fedora, Ubuntu, Debian. Well, when Debian has them, same with Scent. It is really nice, and you can get started in less than 55 seconds. At $5 a month, you're like, wow, that's crazy. But guess what? Use the promo code LASTDIGITAL, you get a $10 credit. Oh, now what now? Oh, now, hold on. Now think about, you guys know math. 5 plus 5 is, that means two months. Two months of a Linux rig up in the cloud with crazy fast connections with one-click application deployments. It is really nice. And they've got data center locations in New York, San Francisco, Singapore, Amsterdam, London, and Germany. All their drives are SSDs, terabyte of transfer, really nice intuitive interface. I have so many different uses for DigitalOcean, but maybe, you know, you could go take a look for yourself. Uh, If you go over to DigitalOcean.com and go to their features page, they do have a few suggestions. Now, you can do even more than what they suggest here, but you go to their distros and one-click apps section. And here's, uh, here's where they outline the different distros that they support, including FreeBSD. And then they list out even, this isn't even all of them, but with one click you could deploy Cassandra or Docker or Discourse or Drupal or Joomla, the entire LAMP stack, GitLab, Ghost, the blogging engine, MediaWiki, OwnCloud, Node.js, Redmine, WordPress, Ruby on Rails, MongoDB, all a single click on top of the distro you want for $5 a month. And if you use our promo code last digital, you support this show, you keep us going, and and you get two months. Try it absolutely for free. They also have private networking. This is a really slick thing you should check out. They have those floating IPs. So you, and what and if you look at the uh, community uh, community tutorials over here, they got themselves some great tutorials on how to take advantage of that. 
DigitalOcean.com. Just remember our promo code, LastDigital. See why no and I are cray-cray about DO. You want to hear my latest DO project? Totally. So um, Odyssey Westra is, uh, you know, he's a, he's a graphic artist, right? <laughs> and um, and he's, he does a lot of stuff with the, the graphics arts community. And uh, the, the MyPin community um, was really trying to get a form up and running and so uh, if you go over to community.mypaint.org, uh, uh, our company is actually sponsor AltaSpeed Alta is actually sponsoring their uh, their server, which we're hosting on DigitalOcean. That is awesome. And so it was, yeah, it was really slick because I didn't have, uh, you know, we were just, you know, right before the show, you and I were both having a, a discussion about various issues with, with time availability during the week. And so when he first asked me, he's like, you know, we'd really like, you know, to know if you guys would be interested in doing this. And I'm like, listen, um... My heart is is there. My my spirit is definitely there with you, but I don't really have the time. So you need to lay out in as short of words as possible what you need from me. And if that time, whatever all those things uh, equate to greater than fifteen minutes, the answer is probably no. <laughs> and so he and he goes and he goes. Listen, I'll set everything up. I just need a server with root access. I'm like, okay, that I can do because I can do it from my phone, and it'll take me like sixty seconds. So he emailed me his SSH key, and. We added it in. I added it into uh, to my control panel, and I just clicked the two little buttons and and set up the thing. And then he emailed me. In fact, I think it was actually during last week's episode. I'm almost sure it was. And he goes, "You set this box up with CentOS. I was wondering if it, how hard it would be to get this to go with um uh with Debian." And I'm like, "Not hard at all." Had a boy, and I log Odyssey, in and I click the button. <laughs> I click the button. <laughs> That's giving you way too much satisfaction, Chris. And I clicked the button, and I clicked the other button, and I think it was actually while I was still on the air, I I redeployed the entire box to an entirely different operating system, keeping all the SSH configuration and all that stuff right from the dashboard. Love it. Last digital $10 promo. You guys could – there's always something you can throw together. Uh, Pretty nice. It really is pretty nice service. I'm really glad they're a sponsor. DigitalOcean.com. Use the promo code LASTDIGITAL. Okay, Noah, so uh, I got something I want to talk about this week that, uh, you know, we're talking about KDE, right? So this is this is totes legit, as the kids would say. It's called K-SuperKey, and it actually might work on other desktops. There's actually nothing that makes it unique or specific to the KDE desktop. But, you know, Noah, as uh, a user of uh, the Plasma desktop from time to time, I find myself to be in a very interesting paradigm. Mm-hmm. One where uh, almost the system feels infinitely configurable. Uh, there are so many little things you can tweak and adjust and adapt. You can make the Plasma desktop feel a lot like Unity or GNOME or a traditional, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, more Windows-style uh, desktop. There's so many things you can change on the Plasma desktop, except one of the things you can't change is using the damn super key to open up the launcher menu. You have now. There's lots of different ways you can do it. There's different key combos. There's also Alt Space uh-huh. to do K Runner. But right. if you like, like, like some kind of old man <clears throat> happen to have now nearly 15 years of me- of of muscle memory of tapping the super key to launch and then begin right. typing, you know, because I mean, really, starting with the Unity desktop, I just switched all of my desktop environments over to using the super key to launch yep. the. The application launcher. So that's like right. the one thing you can't change in the I agree. Uh, KDE not, desktop. Not to, mention, not to mention, let's pause there and, and ask the question, if I'm not going to use the super key to launch an application, the heck is it doing on my keyboard? It does do something under KDE. It's pre-bound to something else. 
And I don't know yeah. what, I don't care. I don't that want it. That is the it. most useful yeah. thing for a, yeah. for that button to yeah. do, though, is launch applications. So what I have done is I have taken the Nuke option. Thanks to Imacon, he pointed me to something that is probably in your uh, distributions package repo. It's called KSuperKey, and it allows you to open up the application launcher on KDE using the SuperKey. You just install it, and then you run it. So um, you have to install the package. That might be kind of obvious. And then you run the package, and then once you have it installed, go into your system settings, and you go into startup and shutdown in 5.5, in and you go to auto start, and then just add it in auto start. You'll never see it. It'll never open up a window. It'll never flash anything. There's no system tray icon. It just runs in the background and lets you use the super key to launch your menu. And for that, I clarify, for that, I think it justifies being our spot pick, our, our, our desktop app pick, whatever we call mm-hmm. it. I think it's worth it. The K super key application is worth it. I linked to it in the show notes. And like I was saying, they have packages for like everything. Um, yeah. There you go. Yeah, right here. Even like uh, PC Linux OS, Sharaka. Well, that's pretty common KDE distro. Fedora. Look, they, they even made packages for Fedora and Gentoo. Gentoo and Mint even. So uh, this is really nice if you ever used KDE. Uh, and wanted to be able to do that. Noah, now, uh, the spotlight this week, uh, I think you'll agree, deserves some attention because it it was so close to being ready when we were doing our last pass switch episode. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep. So it's super nice to be able to say, KeyPass X 2.0 is here. KeyPass X 2.0 using the new KDBX database, just like KeyPass 2 does. The uh, And now you can import your KDB database from 0.4 uh, and... New features include multiple attachments per entry, add custom key value pairs to entries, and open multiple databases in one window, which is really sweet for work and personal and stuff. It's a one-way trip, though. So once you make the conversion, that database doesn't ever go back. Just a little heads up. Now, are you still are you still using your solution that that uh, that you did during the uh, during that episode? Begrudgingly, um, begrudgingly, it is basically what I've done is I've moved everything over I have used since that switch, but I still have a LastPass database with old stuff in it that isn't super relevant okay. that I'm, but yeah. I, I'm just not uber motivated to move over. So yeah, yeah. Uh, what so, about you? Uh, well, so I was just going to ask. I have found that uh, you know as I'm I'm going real simplistic. I was just using the Firefox uh, password manager and. I have to say that the more I use the, 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 the password manager built into the web browser, the more I'm convinced I couldn't live with a system that didn't have a browser extension. Yeah. Which I, I know that's I know that no, sounds a little a backwards. Big, no, that's a big thing for me too. So but it just that is that is where all of the passwords because everything I'm doing inside of a terminal is almost always authenticated with a key. And so where I'm using passwords is is in web browsers and in forms and, and really the thing that really gets me is the bazillions of sites that I'm not going to use very often. Like I use like one time or two times. I and they, mm-hmm. Of course, every place you have to sign up, you can't just, you know, post with the, you know, you can't just create a screen name and post. You have to, of course, sign up and yet they have to register an email and all that other crap. And I those I feel very strongly about using a separate password because I don't pay attention to when they send out that mailer that says oh, our, our, our list was compromised and your username and password may have gotten out. I'll never find out about it because I never <laughs> yeah. read that stuff. Yeah. <laughs> Same here. Um, I got a couple of things I want to touch on real quick before we jump into the news. It's almost probably too late. I guess I'll mention it for the live streamers. Uh, teespring.com slash last US and last EU. This wraps up on Sunday. So maybe if you've listened to this on Sunday, you still have a chance to get the jacket. Limited run. They are really great. Also, uh, we, are, we have been doing a swag giveaway. 
if you are already an active patron and you had a successful um, November charge, then I invite you to be watching our show note links for all of the shows throughout the week because we've been giving out swag for each show all week long. Uh, yesterday, the uh, unfilter swag went out to Lucas, and it was uh, an unfilter red book. You seeing that, Noah? Are you seeing how awesome I am, that is? Yeah, I'm looking. That is. That looks really cool. What's in the little red book? It's legit. This is it's their own red book, so people can make their own predictions. For Coda, oh, for Coda Radio, we had a nice coffee mug with a green handle, green rim, and green inside, and the white on the outside. Real nice. That one went to Adrian. Uh, and, of course, uh, the Linux Action Show has a beer coaster. It's a thick piece of glass with the last logo inside it. So it looks really nice. And uh, so we got, I got one here in the studio. And uh, that went out to Brandon B. We got the Linux Action Show coaster. TechSnap mouse pad. All kinds of really cool stuff. There's also some ornaments. So we're giving away swag for the holidays. Uh, if, you've had a successful, if you had a successful payment in the month of November, look for show note links and then you just enter uh, when you see the swag link. And it'll be swag related to the show that the link was in. So think about that. That's pretty good odds because we don't have thousands and thousands of patrons. And so if you had a successful patron payment and you see the link and click it, you're going to be part of a small group. And you have a pretty good chance of winning some decent swag that is related to the show. So check it out. Uh, you can see pictures at Instagram.com slash Jupiter Broadcasting if you want to get in on it. Still some more swag to be given away. And rumor has it, if this continues to be as successful as it is, it may continue into January, too. And so December patrons within the count. Uh, all right, Noah. So that's all I had for that. That's just some cool stuff we had going on that I have been negligent to mention on the show. Previous picks, by the way. Over on the website at jupiterbroadcasting.com slash last picks, including everything we've ever done that runs Linux and all of the desktop app picks and all of the weekly spotlights and Android picks all over there, jupiterbroadcasting.com slash last picks. All right, Noah, let's do the news. the news and this episode is brought to you by ting.com no go to last.ting.com to support this show and you know what else save 25 bucks off your first ting device or 25 dollars off ting service if you've got a compatible device they got gsm and cdma you might what is ting it's mobile that makes sense my mobile service provider noah's mobile service provider shoot why wouldn't it be flat six dollars for the line and then you just pay for your usage what a concept plus a great dashboard no contract, no early termination fee. Oh, shoot, they even have an early termination relief program if you're stuck in a duopoly contract right now. It is the ultimate service. Being able to choose between GSM and CDMA, CDMA too is super nice. Having a really actual legit dashboard that works on all my devices is very nice. Really nice customer service that is passionate. You get to actually talk to humans. It's nice to actually have a wireless company that stands for something. Go to last.ting.com. A couple of things going on right now for a little bit longer, uh, some big sales. iPhone 5S, uh, 279 You know, if you don't mind getting an iPhone, the 5S is a great phone, no contract, unlocked. Motorola Moto E, 79 bucks. You can get the one of the best Android experiences on a phone that doesn't have, like, a carrier blocking updates, no contract, 79 bucks. Refurbished Nexus 5, 179 bucks. Also, Ting's giving away a Nexus 5 next week. Check their blog for information about that. Also, they have, if you are in the Christmas spirit and are a cord cutter, they have a great blog post for you on places you can go online to find Christmas movies if you don't have cable TV, including some that they've gotten off of YouTube and a few other places. They have a lot of really good stuff going on right now at Ting. So just find out more about it by going to last.ting.com. 
You can learn more about why we've been customers for a long time now if you use that savings calculator. I think it'll make it pretty obvious right there. Last.ting.com. Learn more about Ting. Support this show and maybe save yourself something great. Another really nice thing to think about. They have GSM SIM cards you could be getting. Stocking stuffers. Seriously. There's no contract with these things. This is, this is a data tap that somebody can put into a device and now have data when they need it with no contract. They have really, 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 really reasonable priced flip phones. You know, like 80 bucks for a flip phone that's going to last you for a week and no contract, pay for what you use. I mean, it's, it is, the, the, the value is ridiculous. And you can just get started by going to last.ting.com. I, uh, I don't know, Noah. Is there going to be any Ting phones under your tree this year? I, you know, I, I, here's the thing. I have so many devices activated under Ting, and I have b- purchased so many things both from Ting. You and could just decorate the tree with them. Yeah, I could. I could just hang, pho- <laughs> I could hang phones on the tree. I, I don't know what else I would do with Ting. I have dedicated hotspots in yeah. my car. I have yeah. dedicated hotspots on my laptop. I have, de- I have, mm-hmm. I have two, f- I now, de- I don't know if I told you this. I am, I am down to carrying two phones now. Like, I just decided that I have to have two phones. That's just yeah. the way it has to be. You just, and yeah. then I have one I did that one for phone. a long time. Did you? Personal oh, yeah. and work? Yeah, yeah it's yeah. it is it is a night and day difference for my sanity because when I want to be doing work and I need to concentrate on work, personal phone just gets left in the truck and then I just deal with all those fires when I get back mm-hmm. and then I can kind of switch. And what, what dawned on me is I kind of made this conscious decision. There is nothing that can happen in my personal life that a short short from like, you know, immediate families like if Sarah, you know, needs to call me or something like that. But short of that happening, there's nothing that is so urgent that I'm going to be able to do anything about it anyway because I'm at work. So whatever the problem is, it can just wait. And with Ting being, does it cost me like, it doesn't even cost, we always say, you know, five bucks a month. It doesn't even end up costing that because I don't actually use that many minutes. A lot of it is, on my personal phone anyway, is all data, but all that data is coming through Wi-Fi. And so, you know, I'm just basically paying for like, it's almost like I have a backup plan of data in case I need to tap into it, which I almost never do. Text or a text snap last.ting.com. You can go to text snap too, but that Alan Jude guy, I don't know about him. He's Canadian. Last He's also dot, PSD. Yeah, last.ting.com. Go uh, learn more. Go try out that savings calculator. Last.ting.com. Big thank you to Ting. And honestly, a big thank you to you guys for going there and trying them out because I think you guys are a unique fit. Some audiences aren't quite as savvy with their cellular and they'll just kind of lap up anything that anybody in, in a leather jacket sells them or. Or any salesman. So I, I, I think it's a really good fit for you guys. So go check mm-hmm. them out at last.ting.com. All right, Noah. So um, speaking of mobile devices, kind of a perfect segue, uh, Mozilla made a huge announcement this week. They're going to stop selling Firefox OS and I stop developing that. it. They're going to stop developing it, stop, stop making the phones. Uh, the announcements were made earlier at Mozilla's developer event in Orlando called Mozilando, unfortunately. Mozilla announced an end to its smartphone experiment and said that it would stop developing and selling Firefox OS smartphones. It will continue to experiment on how it might work with other connected devices. They say we are proud of the benefits of Firefox OS and the web platform and will continue to experiment across connected devices. Direct quote. Uh, so, Noah, this sort of follows on a rant I had a couple of weeks ago, if you want to call it that, I guess, about why I didn't really think... Mm-hmm. Open source should really be focusing on this particular area. And I had yep. Mozilla in my thoughts when I was talking about that. Mm-hmm. And the, here they are shutting it down. The only thing that doesn't sit super well with me is they're doubling down in a lot of ways, like on their focus on platforms like iOS and Android. Specifically, for some reason, the iOS one's bothering me, primarily because on iOS, they can't use the 
Gecko rendering engine. So they're using Safari, WebKit, and like they just released an ad blocker called Focus, which because of the way iOS works, only works with Safari. And this is coming from Mozilla. And, and, and you know, there's talk about them shutting down Thunderbird. All of this is very confusing. But at the same time, it feels like maybe this was necessary. I'm curious where you fall down on it. Yeah. So, like I, so first of all, let's back up. Going back to what you were talking about, about, um, you know, you, you kind of touched on this, you know, a couple weeks ago. And I think you did. I think you said that, I think you're, you, you directly said that you thought it was a, it is a very, a precarious uh, situation to be in if you want to develop a mobile phone and you're going against companies like um, Google and Apple. And I think there's a lot of validity to that. The thing that appealed to me about the Firefox OS phone, more so than Ubuntu Touch, more so than Yala, more so than anything else, was that they had this idea of uh, of of modules and standardization, this idea that we're just going to make a big web browser since everyone does anything in the web browser anyway. And you can write your quote unquote apps, which will give you a little icon on the desktop or on the, you know, whatever you call it, launcher screen. And all the apps will be written in HTML5 and thus you can run them on iOS and Android and Firefox and Yala and whatever because yeah. we've essentially standardized the mobile platform. And to that aspect of the, of the Firefox phone really, really appealed to me. And the other thing that I, I really liked about it was I didn't feel like I was buying into firefox os so much as i was just buying into a web browser in html5 which is already kind of an accepted standard mm. so i was a little bit more comfortable with it mm-hmm. and um but on but so but the side the, the other side of that coin is i don't think that uh that a a web-based phone was ever going to be a serious contender for people here in the u.s going against things like a modern android Ford or a modern ios phone i think that a 25 dollar phone you know in 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 africa you know basically anywhere abroad um, I think if you're looking, if you're especially if you're looking in lower income uh, areas of the world and you want uh, the features of a smartphone so they can do things like email and Internet and stuff like that, that I think there's there's a market for. Yeah. I don't know that there's a huge market for that. In and the I think US. in reality, that market will probably be solved in some parts by Android one and maybe by used iPhones and other, maybe, you know, maybe, and other yeah. lots, you know, there's lots of smart devices that can come a down little, the price. A, a little a bit, but you know, so Blue has, uh, the, the company Blue makes, you know, inexpensive Android devices, right? And so I bought one. I wanted to see kind of what it was like, you know, is, what can you do with a $30 Android device? And what I found was the answer is you can make calls and you can receive text messages and that's it. You can't <laughs> really check email. You definitely can't browse the internet. I mean, not even a prayer of actually browsing the internet. You can't even get Google to load on the stupid thing. You know, I guess so. I guess I guess I follow what you're saying, but I feel like I feel like that's the same argument one laptop per child made for a long time, and now mm-hmm. it's starting to feel like one laptop per child is not really as relevant as it used to be because it's just not how, as necessary. You... Because there's other hardware now with smart devices and tablets and whatnot that are down at the price that oh, I mean, one laptop per child. Remember when they couldn't when they couldn't get it below a hundred bucks? It was like a hundred uh-huh. and something. It was like a hundred and twenty five dollars, and that was like, well, right. that's amazing. That's like, now you can get tablets for eighty bucks. Right. Yeah. And that's here. You you take that at a couple more years down the road and right. all that stuff just keeps going cheaper and cheaper. I, I, I don't know if it I don't know if the original mission of creating a phone for the third world, not that it's not important. Yeah, I yeah, just think yeah. that I think market economics are going to eventually solve it on its own. Right. So what you're saying. So essentially, if I'm understanding you right, the argument you're making is my Samsung S4, you know, sells right now on eBay for 50 or 60 bucks. And that's ten or fifteen dollars more than the brand new blue phone, 
but because it was a, a decent phone at the time that it was released, even a couple years later, it's still a usable phone? Is that kind of I, I guess maybe. I mean, that's the situation today, and I think uh, that won't necessarily be the situation in a few years. But, uh, uh, yeah. Um, I, the one thing that caught me sort of uh, by surprise was there was one thing I'm hoping doesn't fall victim to their new, quote-unquote, focus at Mozilla. And uh, that would be, for some reason, you know what I'd really love to see is... Take a Firefox OS and use it in interesting ways like make a Chromecast competitor. Remember there was talk of a Firefox OS-based Chromecast competitor? You remember this? Okay. That would be really compelling because I think Chromecast is proven to be an interesting device that a lot of people find functional for them. Uh, but it's all locked up in Google's cloud service with, you know, Google's uh, – all it's all proprietary extensions and plugins and everything. It would be mm-hmm. really cool to have something like Chromecast that was open source, that worked with Firefox – didn't uh didn't Rotten Corpse develop a plugin for XBMC that did everything that Chromecast did? Yeah, Matchstick is what I'm thinking of. My the chat from points out this was it was called Matchstick. Yeah, there is for for there is some stuff for like XBMC and Cody. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, but so what Matchstick was was like a full on Chromecast competitor, and I think that's re- that would be really interesting. Um, hmm. so I, I and I think that ties in well with the web because I think there I think it's becoming more and more common where you want to take content from the web and watch it socially with people on your television. And the TV is just becoming another destination for maybe something you found on YouTube. At least that's what seems to happen when we mm-hmm. have social gatherings. Those are a bunch of geeks. So did you hear about Microsoft offering a Linux cert? How about that, Noah? Believe it or not, it's true. Uh, Microsoft Linux has a cert that is not only going to teach you how to do uh, Linux on Azure, but they actually created the certification with help from the Linux Foundation. So they worked together with Linux Foundation to make, to make this cert possible. Uh, the uh, CTO of Microsoft and Microsoft's cloud platform said it's obvious if we don't support Linux, we'll be a Windows-only shop, and that's not practical. He continued, last fall, one in five instances on Azure were Linux. Today, about a year later, one in four instances are Linux. So they're rolling out an Azure Linux certification course. Are you excited? No, I'm not. Here's the thing. Microsoft, there's nothing that Microsoft has done has convinced me that they have bought into open source. They've just they just convinced me that they are attempting or continue to attempting to save their own necks and stay relevant in a marketplace that is dynamically changing ever so quickly in the favor of Linux and open source, and they're going to get left out in the cold. And so they do whatever they have to do uh, to, to keep that from happening. And this just seems like another play of, well, we want people to use Linux and Microsoft Azure, and I guess to do that, we have to teach them how to do it. So we should probably give them a piece of paper that says that they have uh, that they know how to do it. I should almost schedule a, 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 a training session and take the exam and see how it compares. Because uh, here's my guess. My guess is on the scale of Microsoft Office User Specialist to the Red Hat certification, my guess is it's like one step above a Microsoft Office user specialist. So it says, here's the skills it measures. It measures. Uh, deploy websites, define deployment slots, roll back deployments, configure and deploy packages. So you're clicking something through a website. Mm-hmm. Configure websites, configure app settings, connection settings, handlers, mm-hmm. and virtual directories. Configure certificates, mm-hmm. custom domains, and traffic managers. Again, all through their web uh, system. Implement virtual machines is 15 to 20% of the exam. Deploy workloads okay. on Azure. Implement images and disks. Perform configuration management. Uh, let's see. Oh, you got to implement uh, Azure Active Directory. Integrate an Azure AD with existing directories. Configure application access panel. Integrate an app with Azure ID. Then you have to configure virtual networking is the very last course. 
uh, deploy a VM into a virtual network, modify a subnet, then choose the appropriate solution between express route, site-to-site, point-to-site, and choose the appropriate gateway. Boy, this is, this is Microsoft. Oh my gosh, this just brings me back so much. Yikes. So 150 bones in the U.S. to uh, take that there, uh, that there, uh, uh, implementing Microsoft Azure infrastructure solution course for Linux. I don't know what to make I'm of not, that. I don't yeah, know. I, well, here's here's the thing. I'm I'm honestly I'm tempted. It, it's not just an empty line. I'm actually tempted to go to go see if I can. I mean, where would I find time to do it? But I, I'm almost tempted to go through that and and, and take it and, and report back. Is but I mean, even looking through the requirements, even if you do find some people that are technically proficient, I think that those. I mean, this is. I, I guess this is. Uh, this is a little pessimistic of me. I think that those technical skills are just necessities to get people to use Azure. I don't think it has any. I still don't think anything right. in there indicates that they actually care what happens to Linux. It reminds me of a lot of the a lot of the types of people we see at conve- at the higher end larger conventions that are there. Oh yeah. More, oh yeah. Yeah. It's the same. Yeah. Kind of absolutely. Thing. That's absolutely. It's right. a grander scale of it. So here's maybe an example of somebody who's maybe actually more in in at a actual um, legit level, I guess. I don't really know how to put it. I'm pretty impressed. Dell's done something that I think is actually worth mentioning here. A couple of weeks ago, we talked about the vendor firmware service, um, which is something that I was like, boy, it's only going to really be great depending on who works with this. And this is something that allows users to update like their UF, UEFI firmware files from within Linux without having to have Windows or DOS, and even to some degree, perhaps, through GNOME software one day. You go to the GNOME software updates, and, and a firmware update is just listed right there, and you can just actually install it from GNOME software. And Dell has announced that starting with one of their products, their border, or I think they call it Edge Gateway product, mm-hmm. they will make, out of the box, that firmware update work in Linux. So just, you'll be able to, you'll be able to, you'll be able to do all your firmware updates under Linux, they're going to they're going to ship it upstream to this uh, firmware project. They'll be able to distribute it through things like GNOME Software one day. And in the show notes, I have an anonymous survey link where Dell wants to know what other hardware people are using on Linux and gauge if people actually care about being able to upgrade their firmware easily from within Linux. So if you would like to go respond to that survey, we have it linked in the news section to let Dell know that there is indeed actual interest in this. You may be able to get things like the XPSs and the Sputniks and other things like that in there. So it's kind awesome. of nice. Yeah, I think yeah, it's pretty absolutely. cool to see them uh, jumping on board the LVS project and uh yeah. See now and, and <clears throat> I know that hate mail is is on its way and this is going to be hypocritical after following up on the last story but while I think that Microsoft just wants to stay relevant, I think Dell just wants to make a buck off of selling their computers and they don't really care if it's Windows or Linux. I think that they're at the end of the day they just want to sell their computers and so if there is a market um which clearly there is uh, for a Linux audience, I think they're more than happy to cater to it. And I think that's kind of where a lot of these decisions are driven from. Yeah, the the Azure thing and Microsoft thing is more about training somebody on the Microsoft version and implementation of Linux, where Dell's mm-hmm. more about getting people and getting hardware working with Linux, right? which enables people to do whatever they want. Exactly, yeah. exactly. So we talked a little about Let's Encrypt and why I was excited how it might make it super easy for Linux users to at least get some basic SSL and do some identity guarantee. Now, since we've talked about it, it's launched, and they have issued over 100,000 certs. And I'm going to link you guys to their stats page in the show notes where you can watch it go off like crazy. Uh, There is um, some interesting trends here, too. Anonymous registrations are really low. Compared to, uh, it looks like maybe less than fifteen thousand ish out of out of over a hundred thousand 
issued. Um, most of them are getting registered with a contact, but not to a huge degree. And it's a, it is, it is really growing like crazy. And just in the last 24 hours, it has been huge growths. So uh, the Let's Encrypt project is off to a massive, massive thundering start. And uh, the stats page is lots of pretty. So I got that and linked in there. There's uh there's more than one person that has written in, um, you know, feedback and, and obviously people are active on the Reddit talking about how they're doing it and, and, and encouraging you know, other people to and asking a, questions about it. If we had a good summary, Noah, of what people are doing, if there's like enough couple of different things, we could do an episode on implementing. Absolutely. Yeah, that could be interesting to do a how-to or something. So yeah. uh, that's an idea for the future. Let's encrypt.org. If you guys want to check it out, we'll have the stats linked in the show notes if you want to read that. Uh, now, if there was a news story you didn't hear us cover, well, you can help us out. Go to linuxactionshow.reddit.com and submit it there. It's the holidays. So the open source developers are maybe going home and seeing family, hopefully, and the companies are making less releases, announcements, and things like that. So we could use an extra help of sleuthing. So if you want to find something you think is relevant, and there's always things happening. Sometimes they just don't get headlines. But if you see something in a mailing list or you see something out there you think is worth talking about on the Linux Action Show, head over to that subreddit and submit it, linuxactionshow.reddit.com, helps make a better and better news segment. All right, Noah, that's all the news for this week. Fresh off the internet this week, Plasma 5.5.0 released. Thousands of bugs fixed. New speed improvements, lots of work on Wayland support, new applets, refinements, and the Breeze theme has really been touched up a notch. It's KDE Plasma Desktop like you have literally never seen it before. So we decided it's time for a look at Plasma 5.5.0 and give you the Linux Action Show review. So first, I want to thank our segment sponsor, and that is Linux Academy. Now, Noah, are you a Linux Academy subscriber, man? I am. Yeah. Uh, So basically... so I there are, I, it's kind of embarrassing because every other sponsor they have um they have a, a a lot of practical things that I have to do to get my job done and I use them to solve that problem. Linux Academy is kind of more of like a proactive thing. So when I have some spare time, I'm like, oh, I will learn this or I will do that. And consequently, since I haven't had a lot of spare time with the baby in the house and all that other stuff. I haven't been working on a whole lot of that proactive stuff. So I have like two go-to stories for Linux Academy, but I cannot underscore how amazing both of those experiences were. And so I shared that <clears throat> the Red Hat one last week, that the second thing that I that I did on Linux Academy that was really fun was I wanted to learn Python. And there was like, there was this epic battle uh, uh, raging in the JB community. Sure, and that was, Rakai was trying to convince me to learn. Ruby. Did you guess it? Ruby. 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 You got it. Same battle. And, go, same ba- I had that same battle. Same battle, man. I had that same battle. And, and, like, and like the rest of the community, and not the rest of the community, but a large portion of them mm-hmm. were pushing me to learn Python. And anyone that's ever watched me develop or has heard stories about me trying to develop software knows I'm just not a developer. I'm just not cut out for it because I'm that's arrogant. True. Yeah. I'm ar- yeah. I'm arrogant mm-hmm. and I'm not very smart, at least when it comes to, to, to development and math and stuff like well, that. I, you know, I, you're probably a little bit like me. You're like, come on, you get, you get what I'm trying to say here. Just yes. work already. Right. Exactly. <laughs> not being so, so pandemic. So <laughs> that is so true. It's a capital letter. C. Don't, don't. Yeah. 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 No. So uh, and so I was I was like, well, I want to learn Python. And kind of like you had mentioned a couple weeks ago or last week, I guess, is you sit down and you're like, well, I don't have time for that. And then you look at like the time that is required for it. And you're like, I do have time for that. Yeah, I could yeah, do that. It's doable. And so, and so I ended up learning Python and I did it through Linux Academy. And uh, I, I would love to tell you about all the useful things I've done with my basic, very rudimentary understanding of Python. But really, it has amounted to nothing. 
Um, I, I, I take that back. I, I made a I made a little program that does network documentation. Um, and you know spits out so I can document like the IP addresses that we used and the the hardware that's used and and stuff like that. But uh, I haven't actually really used it in, with anything practical because I don't have a, a graphic user interface, so it's all done at the terminal. Let me tell you about something handy here, Noah. They have a couple of things that are designed just for a guy like you. So they have availability planners. You log into your Linux Academy dashboard and you say, hey, Linux Academy, here's what I got. I've got uh, two hours available on Tuesday. I got two hours available on Thursday and two hours available on Sunday. And then Linux Academy, like a boss, just goes through and says, okay, good news, Noah. I've generated you courseware that matches your availability. Another thing, and this is something I think you actually should really seriously consider. In fact, dude, go troll this for show ideas. Uh, They have these nuggets, and these nuggets are like full-on legitimate how to do something, but just a deep dive into a single course. And it can be anything from AWS, IP tables, rsync, or bash aliases. And it is such a Mm -hmm. neat way to just sort of freshen up or notch something up a little bit that you didn't quite have a total grasp on before. And it is really neat because some of them are like five minutes long. And you go in there and you're like, oh, bang, bang, and you're done. And some of them are like 60 minutes long. On top of all of that, when you do get into the deep stuff, they have almost 2,000 courses with videos and comprehensive study guides, seven-plus Linux distributions you get to choose from, and instructor help is available whenever you need it. That's amazing. Plus, I said, I said this last week, but I think this is a great thing. It's our little secret. The community is stacked full of Jupyter Broadcasting members. So one of the things they do now when you log in is they, of course, go over some of the recent announcements, and some of those in there are people I recognize that are kicking ass in the courseware. Some of the best Red Hat certs over there, a lot of the great technology around Linux, because Linux Academy is truly passionate about Linux, open source, and it's really, really shines. It really comes through the material. I love it a lot. Go check them out. Here's where you need to go. You get our special discount, our special price. I took the Linux Unplugged deal, and I got it for you guys. You go, because those Linux Unplugged guys have been taking advantage of this for way too long. It's time for the last audience to fight back. That's pretty confusing, isn't it? Anyways, go to linuxacademy.com slash unplugged. linuxacademy.com slash unplugged to help support this show and to get a fantastic discount. It is a really cool service. I'm really glad they're here. linuxacademy.com slash unplugged. If the fighting back confuses you, just pretend that everyone in the Linux Unplugged community is a BSD user. Yeah, now it makes sense. Oh, that's nice. That's nice. All right. So those of you who've watched the show for a while know that I have had an on and off relationship that has been going on for nearly 10 years. Sometimes it's hot and heavy and sometimes it's cold and distant. That's right. I'm talking about that mistress plasma plasma five five released this week and it's beautiful. It's got a whole new look, a little facelift here and there, a nip and a tuck and a thousand new fixes. This is the plasma desktop we've all been waiting for. Some are saying I was told in confidence by some developers that this would be the big release where they made their huge push. So the, pre- the Breeze Plasma widget theme has been updated to make it more consistent. Breeze icons are also nice and sharp and look really good. There's been an expanded feature set in the launcher. There's a new user switcher. The disk quota system's much better. And in response to feedback, I love this one. They rewrote support for legacy applications not using the status notifier system. So you get, you know, your good old icons in the system tray again. For like Dropbox and TeamViewer and Spotify and XChat and Pigeon and the list goes on and on. And over a thousand bugs were fixed in the re- lead up to this release. And with Plasma 5.5, basic Wayland session support is provided. It is extended to more desktop stop type usages, so power users could probably start using this now because it has important features like move and resize of windows. 
Also, uh, this allows uh, early users to really start testing. There's also a new screen management protocol that's been created for configuring connected screens of a Wayland session. So lots of new code, lots of fixes. Uh, there is also um, a new font and a new network manager with WPA2 WPA2 enterprise validation and open VPN support has more options. Pretty solid release. And I've got it installed right here on an Archbox. So I thought we would kick it around and give it a try. No, I'm thinking you tried it on Arch 2 just based on pretty much the only way to get it this soon, right? Yep. Yep. Yeah, I did. Well, <laughs> so there's that. And then there's the other thing is that you sent me a telegram and you're like, so here, here's it, it actually this started out really well because usually I spend the first 10 to 15, I don't download and test other distros on my own accord. I do it for the show. And so the first 10 to 15, 20 minutes are spent me searching around different websites, trying to find what I'm going to download and which the right thing that we're reviewing. So I make sure I do the right version and stuff. And you actually sent me like a, a five line cheat sheet of like, don't bother with this. This is the only way to get the desktop. Download this. Be aware of this and try this. And I'm like, oh, okay. So I just, <laughs> yeah. I just followed your cheat sheet and it worked great. Yeah, because when it's this new, it's not available in most places yet. So, yeah, there's a little couple of hoops you have to jump through. Um, and I got to say, uh, if you are a KDE user, uh, it is a good time to also be an Arch user. O- almost legitimately within 30 minutes after um, the announcement about uh, KDE 5.5.0 is out, about 20, 30 minutes into that, the packages were starting to hit Arch, it felt like, almost immediately afterwards. So you really get to jump in very soon. You don't have to wait around quite a bit. Um, and uh, I, I ended up uh, making quite a few changes. And, you know, my... My story with the Plasma desktop tends to go the same way, and every single time I think it's going to be a little different. Um, I start when I'm first emerged, when I first emerge into like this new Plasma world, I start and I'm just, I'm floored. I'm floored Mm -hmm. at how many things I can do. I'm floored at how much better some things are. Like I love K-Rite's markdown support. You just go mode, you go into K-Rite. In fact, I'll just show you because it's, it's really cool. So, uh, K-Rite, which is a great text editor under the K desktop, or I'm sorry, under the Plasma desktop. Uh, you just go into Tools, Mode, and then Markup, and then you can just choose Markdown. You know, this is kind of standard stuff. And it changes syntax highlighting, auto-completion, all of that, and it's very elegantly done. It's not overbearing. The coloring isn't obnoxious. It's just very straightforward and very, very easy to work with Markdown. Right there in the desktop's default text editor. Brilliant. Love it. It's so great. Uh, I really fantastically think, I mean, I think the new, the new look is fantastic. I really think the way you can switch between the themes now is done super easy. You go to workspace theme. They have breeze, dark oxygen and breeze right here. I can click breeze. I hit apply. And now I'm on a, uh, I'm no longer on a dark desktop. I'm on a light desktop and it, it genuinely works really well. Now breeze, uh, for everyone's clarification, including my own, I believe that breeze is the default desktop for mm-hmm. or the default theme for KDE. And then, the Antergos, and this was in your cheat sheet, the Antergos uh, implementation changes it, right? Yes. So if you download Antergos, you're, by default, it's going to be something else. And I actually went in and changed to Breeze so I could look at what it looks like. And then I went back because I actually think it looks worse. I think the Breeze theme actually looks worse. I actually like the darker theme. Yeah, yeah. Darker theme is much nicer. In fact, so one of the things, you know, like the Breeze theme, when it, when you change to it, the uh, the menu down here, and I've seen a lot of people online complaining about this, is really obnoxious. I don't, I don't know what they were thinking. It's, it's atrociously bad. Uh, and so one of the things that I try to do after I've made that change 
is I have to go in and now I have to change the color scheme. Now, it's kind of still fairly complicated. I, I rely on these mouse over previews to know where I need to go to to change things because there's still, uh, from what I can count, one, two, three places to change the way, actually four, four places to change the way applications look. It just feels a little excessive. Uh, and so I actually, even now, don't really know all the time where everything is. So if I want to change the border of my windows, I go into one. If I want to change my overall workspace theme, I go to another. If I want to change the individual uh, desktop effects, like, you know, the compass style effects and things like that, I go to another. It's it's kind of intense. So these, there are areas I still think could use some refinement. But overall, mm-hmm. they are really trying to make it super easy to just switch an entire theme and everything moves over. And that has gotten a lot better. The uh, it, so the themes looked uh, looked really nice, and they and uh, especially the the one that Antrocos changed to the thing that stuck out to me, and I think that the biggest thing that I liked over the review, and and I didn't know either, I didn't, I wasn't aware of this, or um, or I wasn't playing with it, but uh, is that that activity page or the what do they call it? Um, uh, activity pager. Yeah, activities, and, how, and yeah. So it seems like essentially what they've done is tried to combine workspace workspaces with um well i guess the 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 different kinds of workspaces hmm. you can have i don't know if you have a way of demoing that um <laughs> yeah, oh yeah not, not so much oh no i do cuz the shit's built in all over the place on this de- on on the KDE desktop and and one of the many things you can't change and there's lots you can but one of the things you can't is this little menu thing that's built in that allows you to manage your activities of course and right. so I can create an activity right now, and let's say I'm going to do, uh, let's call this activity podcasting. Uh, the uh, Use this when doing a show, bro. Okay? So I just give a little description. I can even give it an icon if I want, so that way I can, uh, I can really make sure it's something I remember. Oh, look, a podcast icon. Look at that, a little microphone. Mm-hmm. It's perfect. I just gave a microphone icon to this activity. So now I create this activity, and I can go over to this. And all of a sudden, you might notice a few things changed. All of a sudden, my widgets disappeared. I can even have a different background so I can make it, uh, you know, a little more obvious which one I'm on. And if you can pause right there for a second. And so where that would work exceptionally well is I actually have or I had at one time two different laptops. And I had one that I took for work stuff and one that I took Mm -hmm. for personal Mm -hmm. stuff. Mm -hmm. And obviously the work one, I had a company logo and stuff like that on the wallpaper. And on my personal one, I had pictures of my kids and stuff like that. And the ability to essentially have multiple little instances of my computer on my computer is, seems like that is amazing. It doesn't just stop there either. Uh, So you might notice like things in power, power settings are specific to the activity you're in. So you can have different oh, power really? profiles and screen locking profiles and things like that, depending on the activity. So you could have a presentation mode. You could have a media center mode activity. You could have huh. a desktop you know, or power saving mode activity. You can have different widgets on your desktop depending on uh, which activity you want. So, like I could, so now you see yeah. I have no widgets on my desktop. I go back to activity. I go to my default one, and now there's my widgets are back again. My desktop is different. All these things have just changed again. Um, yep. Yeah, so it's, I, it's a I, neat I knew idea. About the, I knew about the widgets, but the power management, that uh, that's awesome. That wasn't something I was aware of. Yeah, they, if you look, there's like uh, even right here, like I can configure, uh, I can configure um, all kinds of different uh, like uh, window switching and, and different privacy settings based on activities. If you look, if you dig around in the KDE, or I'm sorry, the Plasma desktop settings, you will see a lot of different areas 
where activities can be can um, alter the behavior. So different activities can have different settings and things like that. It's pretty nice. I think it's a, I think it's a pretty cool. I think it's a pretty cool way to do it. Um, and so here's where I don't like activities. Okay. For me, I've never quite really gotten the idea. I mean, I get what you are just saying. What you just said. Yeah. But to be frank with you, I can accomplish that realistically with a virtual desktop. I always have been able yep. to. Yep. And yep. I don't I don't need I don't need the additional complexity that activities apparently have brought to the plasma desktop. Activities okay. are so important to the plasma desktop that it's right here and it's always stuck up here in this corner. Uh, when I add a mm-hmm. widget, when you look at the widgets, the activities pager is listed before the actual virtual desktops page. I don't know why the widgets thing isn't coming up. When I add okay. a widget, I don't there it goes. Look, they, they, if you want to, if you want to switch between desktops, the first one that comes up is activity pager. Not that I mean, it's just I realize cause it starts with an A, but it's just the whole emphasis yeah. is around these activities. Every yeah. settings area has different activities. I, so this is a desktop with a lot of settings, and then depending on what activity you're in, you have a whole other set of settings that could be applied. Right. It is a rabbit hole of complexity that has been in the Plasma desktop since Plasma five. And every mm-hmm. single time I have tried to use it, legitimately, I've had, because for, for, for a period of time, apparently that's my favorite word today, for a period of time, this bonobo right here was going with me to clients, it was going home, and I was doing shows on it. And I tried using different activities for each one of those things, Noah. And mm-hmm. I'll tell you what, it just doesn't hold up. It, really? And, and it, it just, for me, didn't work. Now, if you can wrap your brain around it and you can really implement it in your workflow, it would probably be just fine. But to me... It was such a departure because it was it was it was too much away from virtual desktops. Where if I could, why not just use a virtual desktop? And then that's already integrated with my existing workflow, and it's worked so well for years. So I, for me, I don't like them, and I find them to be too complex. I mean, I get, I, I guess, I definitely thought of it as a replacement for uh, for the workspaces, and I agree that my, that's what I, that's what I'm doing right now is I'm using uh, workspaces to accomplish a lot of this stuff, particularly in GNOME. Um, almost exclusively, I use workspaces to accomplish that. But I guess that as I was kind of looking at it, the additional settings, they didn't seem to be mandatory. It seemed like by default, it will let you keep everything consistent, and you, but you have the ability to go in there and modify stuff. But, I mean, in full disclosure, I have not played with it long enough yeah, to, no, to that know is, for that sure is the that way it would it works. work. I mean, that is the way it works. I'm just saying over time, that is a, that is a settings yeah. creep problem. Right, but what I'm saying is you have practical application of, of how this works in, in the real world, and that's admittedly I don't. I haven't actually taken it out and used it. Um, you know, I have to take it out and use it at, at client locations back at home and, and go it back and forth. It might better for you. It really might. It, it could just be something that I just was never able to really wrap my brain around. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah. So, uh, I, I find it to be sort of also, um, I find sometimes I have strange performance issues that I don't have on other desktops. And I don't know if, I don't know what's going on here. I don't, I don't know where, okay. where's, uh, but sometimes, for example, uh, in Chrome, in the Omnibar where the address bar is. Uh, under the Plasma desktop, it does not keep up with my typing. I really? type in if I type in JupiterBroadcasting.com, it'll do U P I T E R. It's just really it's stuttery. It's really does weird. it ever catch up? Does it ever catch up? Like does it get to a certain point and then boom, flesh out the rest or no? Um, no, it's usually one character at a time. It's it's very stuttery. Really? It's weird sometimes, and I don't know if I'm going to be able to capture it now because I've opened the menu so many times. So I'm, but I'll try it. And this is across three different desktops that I tried this on. Uh, sometimes when I open up the menu, first the box of the menu opens, it applies a blur effect, and then the contents of the menu open, depending on the theme you're using. So what you get is this stutter uh, 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 when you click on the menu. Mm-hmm. Uh, so first the uh, is the menu opening, uh, is the contents loading. Happens mm-hmm. about once an hour, 
and I've already done it a few times, so it probably won't happen. But I'm going to try it right now and see if it does it. No, see that time it didn't do it, and that doesn't always. And it's not a big deal, but it is. It, it, it's constant little sensations that make my computer feel like it's struggling to perform. Where under mm-hmm. other desktops, I have the very opposite sensation. Cinnamon, GNOME, all of these, even previous versions of Plasma Desktop, I haven't had these particular problems. Here's one more weird thing that I have run into, and I think it's because I, well, I installed it under Arch. I installed uh, Plasma Meta Package, and then I installed the KD Applications Package, which pulls on a whole bunch of KD applications. I think one of the things that pulled down, and I don't know for sure, is X Screensaver. And now... About every 10, 15 minutes, I'm not sure because I walk away and then I come back and I have a screensaver, a random X screensaver. Sometimes it's GPL or GP, um, GL pipes. Sometimes it's like a blur thing. Sometimes it's a little block stacking thing. It's all the old X, only a little more modernized screensavers that are starting automatically on my computer. And one of the things they've removed in Plasma, out of all of the different settings they have, one of the things they've removed is the ability to manage screensavers. Fair enough. I understand they're old. They're not really necessary anymore. Mm-hmm. However, I now have a desktop environment, both downstairs and upstairs, where my screensavers are running, and there's nothing I can do to turn them off unless I go into another. I, I don't know. I actually don't even know. I haven't tried going into GNOME. But so I today was working on one computer and watching a video on my Plasma 5 desktop, and the screensaver kicks in. As I'm watching the video, and there's nowhere for me to go to turn off the... I'm just getting trolled by a screensaver now on the Plasma desktop. There's nothing I can do to stop it. I've gone and I've changed off, turned off power management. And I swear to God, one time I did see a screensaver control panel somewhere, but I I, I can't find it. It is... I honestly am having a hard time finding all the settings I always need to find in this desktop. Thankfully, search is pretty good. It's not great, but it's pretty good. Here's something I kept in mind as I was uh, as I was looking at the KDE desktop. Um, so I had a I had a client that basically they want to move one of uh, the uh, one of their Windows machines over to a Linux machine of some sort, and we'd gone yeah. over the different options. And so Ubuntu, whether we like it or not, is out of my hands. It got ruled out. It, Unity is just not an option. Um, and so that le- they wanted something that looked more like Windows, and so. They came to me with KDE and said, this is what we were told is the best supported desktop for a Windows user to transition over to. And after just getting done with Mint and hearing your positive reaction, um, you know, with how Cinnamon has progressed, I I kind of tried to push them towards that a little bit. And now as I'm going back and looking at this and hearing, uh, you know, how, your experiences as well as coupled with my own, I'm starting to wonder, is KDE, do you think it's a little bit too complicated of a desktop for somebody to start out with Linux on? I mean, you're having trouble finding the screens ever. You've been using it for 15 years. I think if they're a power Windows user, I think you're, you might be all right. Oh, okay. Um, they're not. You know, not. I think I'm feeling like I'm going to stick it out for another week or so. And uh, because there are there are just enough things and just enough integrations that I, I really like. Every time I use Plasma, I like it a lot. And to be clear, I'm sounding a little disgruntled right now because mm-hmm. a lot of this stuff fell off the rails in the last couple of days. Um, sure. For example, I can almost always, always crash the Plasma desktop. Um, it crashes about twice a day for me at least. Um, mm-hmm. My surefire way to, to crash the Plasma desktop is if you right-click on the panel 
and uh, you see sometimes have to you sometimes have to add widgets and and then delete widgets and add widgets and delete widgets a couple times before this works. But if you right click on the panel and you go to panel settings. And you might notice right now that the default dark theme makes the buttons completely unreadable. I don't even know which button. Only The only way I can tell which button does what is because the cursor is changing slightly, but the buttons are so washed mm-hmm. out by the default theme that I can't even read them, which is just a refinement thing that bothers me. But I, once I change the colors, I have to go modify the default theme, but once I change that, it'll be fine. Now, a lot of times, if you've been adding or removing widgets, which I have not been, but now you don't always have to be, uh, it will crash the Plasma desktop just by trying to move this sidebar around not every time okay. but for occasionally when you move this bar around the plasma mm-hmm. desktop will just crash on you now the thing about that is the crash happens very fast it recovers very very fast oh now my now my thing's a little messed up i don't that's not actually what i wanted that is not good that is not oh boy oh boy no did you see what i did there I, I'm looking, yeah. I made it tiny somehow. I didn't mean to. Mm-hmm. There we go. There we go. Now I made it bigger. You shrunk, you shrunk your little thingy. I do kind of actually kind of like it is. It is. But see, at the same time, though, like if you're willing to shoot yourself in the foot a little bit, like <laughs> if you're willing to put yourself out there, you can really make a pretty nice looking desktop, pretty cool configured desktop and whatnot. Mm-hmm. So I'll have to mess with this more after because I have a little gap over here now in the corner. But, it, you know, it those little bumps at the same time, I love I love a lot about it. I, I love the integration. I, I love console i love dolphin in a lot of ways they are uh they are really powerful tools that makes it that make it feel like a really powerful linux workstation and so mm-hmm. i'm going to stick with it for a little bit uh but i i am okay one more thing one more complaint and then i want to talk about some of the great applications that have been updated but th- this has been legitimately my experience i don't have anything against plasma 5 but I kind of still struggle with sound problems, and so here's my here's my surefire trick to make sure it's using the right sound card now, is you can now go into sound settings and go to the configure tab, the far tab I think it is, and just disable all the devices you don't want it to ever use. So if you have a, a machine that has a couple of USB audio devices, maybe an HDMI port, and you find that the Plasma desktop keeps sending audio, say, to like your HDMI port, this is my problem, always set it, sets it to the default, and then my sound quits working. I was able to go in there and completely disable them. Uh, in fact, here, I'll show it to you. And this is this has made it basically by process of elimination, this has made my KDE sound work uh, really well. And so you can get to it by, if you go to the KDE desktop, you can just right-click on the sound applet. If you go to volume settings here, go to configuration, and just turn off the HDMI audio controller. Just turn it off. See, again, my text is all whited out because the default theme is crap But when you go to dark mode. Uh, it's not when you go into light mode, but dark mode is crap. Uh, anyways, uh, you turn that off, and then only the remaining audio card will be the only option that KDE can send, or the Plasma 5 can send audio to. So that's step one to fixing my audio, but I still am running into a rather significant issue that may, well, that will probably force me to take it off of my machine upstairs. And uh, I suspect it's maybe a bug? Um, and I th- I haven't totally nailed it down yet. I think it's when applications launch, they maybe have their own volume control. It is resetting the software volume to 100%. Okay. So, so the application might have like a 40% volume. So say you're listening to a podcast in a, in, or, a, or, a, or a video stream in a tab in your web browser. And it'll sound exactly at the volume level you expect it to, exactly where you think your volume is at. But what has actually has happened is the application's volume is set to what you think it is. And when that application launched, Plasma set your default desktop volume 
to 100% for all other mm. things. So mm-hmm. if you click if you click close and you get like a would you like to save dialog box comes up and that, that default KDE chime rings. Yeah, it's super loud. Earth shaking loud because upstairs I have some really large uh, studio editing speakers that are 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 so loud that uh, I, I can't I can't play them because they, you they would it would disrupt the neighborhood and so right. when they when they blast at 100 percent it almost knocks me out of my chair and yeah. so to have you know I'm sitting there listening to a podcast in a tab so mentally I think I know exactly where my volume is at and so when I went to go close K right. And that volume was at 100%. I almost asked myself. It was so loud. I mean, my ears were ringing afterwards. So yeah. then I went down. I, I brought the volume back down. And then a few minutes later, I launched like VLC or, or something. And it happened again. And that time it didn't surprise me as much. But I was really disappointed that I, I, I really felt like I was powerless over my volume. Um, and that applications were just arbitrarily maxing it. But the, it was so tricky because the volume, but the, the the volume of the application wouldn't change; just the system volume would. Uh, am I making sense? Do you follow me? Yeah, very much so. And it, it it is a here's the thing. Like, I think we're gonna have to move on to something more positive because to me, if I heard that, it would almost make me not want to use that desktop environment just based on that. I mean, if you think about it. The amount here's here are the settings I change in my desktop. You know, every ten minutes, the volume, and then maybe every twenty minutes or maybe every couple hours, the yeah. brightness, yeah. and that's about it. Those oh. are the only settings I ever tweak. Uh, oh, okay. So, uh, so System T also ran into the same problem. I so Elroy in the chat room says that he had the same volume problem. And System T, I also ran into another bug, and it's not a huge bug, uh, and it's 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 but apparently it's been around for a while, and I just noticed it today as well. Um, for some reason, even after I closed all my console windows, if you look at top. One mm-hmm. of, in fact, this is why I actually have a CPU widget on my desktop is because I ran into a problem mm-hmm. where uh, even with all of the console windows closed, one of them remained running in the background and then began to consume 100% of one of my cores. And then KDE just, huh. or the, 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 the kernel just kind of bounced it around different cores for about 45 minutes. Uh, and I thought maybe it was Uwake, so I closed that. You know, I, tra- I kept trying yeah. to find where was this coming I eventually just restarted to see if I could – I mean, I could have killed it, but I was restarted to see if it just came back automatically, which it didn't. Um, and I was talking about that today on Tech Talk Today in the pre-show, and apparently it's a bug since February. Uh, huh. And and so I was rather dis- – you know, so I've had, I've had it probably crash on me twice a day. Uh, my volume thing is obviously extremely disruptive. The, the fact that I have to install KSuperKey is kind of frustrating. Uh, I feel like activities are too pervasive throughout the system. Uh, the console bug where it steals 100% of one of my CPU cores is disappointing. And yet, I still think they they are on to something here. They do have something going for them. Uh, and I do actually think it's worth your time and, and a little bit of energy. I, I would probably just, what I would say, Noah, okay, is don't go with 550. Wait for like Kubuntu or another distro yeah. to ship like 551 or something. You yeah, know, iron some of that out. Yeah. 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 And I think it, not all of the stuff, you know, I mean, it, it sounds like some of the stuff was negative and perhaps I just need to stick in with it a little bit longer. And uh, and, and some of these issues would surface for me. Um, but the 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 one thing that that hit me that was totally different from a big problem I've been having with Andragos in general is I use uh, private Internet access as a, as a VPN provider to browse the Internet things and um i've never gotten that to work on an antragos ever and this install 
uh, which, by the way, isn't terribly old. So I, I didn't spend a lot of time futzing with it. I was able to configure my open VPN uh, right up. So I don't know what changes exactly they made to, I suppose, to be network manager. Yes. But it is phenomenally better. Yes. It's phenomenally. And, I, and I, I could I could import the, the certificate and I put in I could put in my credentials and it just it connected right up. And I had tried for hours on my last. It wasn't I guess it wasn't Antergos. I guess it was actual Arch. Um, with GNOME to try to get my VPN configured, and I never did get it working correctly. It would it would just it would kick off after like fifteen seconds, and I had it connected for two hours uh, this morning and ran flawlessly the entire time, and I haven't had a single problem with it. And so I don't know what KDE is doing, but it's a lot better than what other desktop environments are doing. And I don't know if you notice this, but if you click on the network manager and then you click on the connection, it'll actually yeah. start a speed graph chart, and it'll start. Direct graphing mm-hmm. the transfer rate right there. This is not brand new, but it's it, you know what is new though. I believe is the way it looks. Uh, I think they did touch it up very recently in one of the, in this release or the last. So it's okay. It's very nice. It yeah. looks fantastic. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it is uh, network manager is a is a solid piece of of software on the desktop. I want to talk about it. So uh, here's a here's a couple of reasons why I'm considering hanging in there with Plasma. First of all, I suspect some of the, like the performancey things that I've noticed and whatnot are going to get ironed out pretty quick. I suspect in the next future releases, they're going to be get, you know, uh, they're going to have little performance in- improvements. And the rela- reality is a lot of other areas of the desktop have had significant Im- improvements. So while I feel like there's been a couple of drawbacks, like in the way maybe the menu is rendering, and that could also, that menu happens that the way that, and maybe I can actually reproduce this one. It essentially happens the first couple of times, I think when the desktop's been idle or something like that. Like if I click on the calendar right now, ah, oh, it did it, but I clicked it off so fast. Well, for those of you, I messed it up. For those of you who want to watch the video, you can kind of see what I was talking about. Uh, it it did just happen there, and it's 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 sort of one of those. Yeah, now it's not going to do it on that because I just recently opened that. Uh, it's one of those things that just makes the desktop environment feel sluggish, and I think those things are going to get cleared up. I think that stuff's going to get improved, and since I'm going to use Arch on the machine and I'm trying this, I'll get the updates fairly quickly. But there's another reason I kind of want to stick with the Plasma desktop for a little while. Some super kick-ass desktop applications now are taking advantage of technology that they've been laying the groundwork down for years. I feel like on the GNOME desktop side, we are really in early days with things like GNOME Maps, GNOME Photos, Calendar. A lot of these apps have had major reworks or massive watering down of features, and they feel like they're, they're early days infant applications. The exact opposite is true on the Plasma desktop side. They have some class A, super great Linux desktop applications like Cadian Live. Cadian Live 5.12 is going to be released soon. It's going to have uh, some new timeline effects, basic implementation of copy-paste features for clips, track transparency, icons automatically adapt to color schemes if you're using light or dark, which is great since I like to edit with a dark theme. Lots of new features to Cadian Live coming. Another really nice Linux editor. Another application, this is a simple example. Arc, the, the, yeah, the, the extractor tool for the KDE desktop, the new upcoming 5.12 release is really nice. One of the most requested features is the ability to open archives directly mm-hmm. in the default application. So you can open them up in there, open file, and you can also inside Arc open it up in an application. One of the things I think is really nice is Arc's going to start detecting if an archive is corrupt, and they'll ask the user if they want to attempt to open it. If the user says yes, then Arc will open it in read-only mode for zip, 7-zip, 7-z, or whatever it is, and mm-hmm. RARs. And then also, besides all the new features, many bug fixes. These, my point is, is these desktop supporting applications, the supporting cast for Plasma, 
is getting extremely strong. Let's pick another one here. Corita. Corita released 2.9.10 on the 9th, just a couple of days ago. What was that? Uh, two days ago. Mm-hmm. Mostly a bug fix release, but they're getting ready for the new Corita release, 3.0. They've included some really awesome AMD processor optimizations. So uh, if you have an AMD CPU, you might want to check that out. New fixes, improved PSD opening, PSD file opening, add an option to log open CL calls for debugging purposes if you're really pushing the system. I mean, these are class A applications. The supporting cast, Noah, is super solid. And we, and we know that because people are using applications like Krita on every other desktop as well as KDE. It's not like... It's not like people go over to KDE and then and then start using those applications. It's, I, I think um, Roddenkorf is a huge user of Creed, and we actually we interviewed those guys um, a couple months back, didn't we? Uh, and so they, um, so so yeah, I, I agree that there are a lot of useful KDE apps. Here's what kills it for me, though: I will not use an application that I can't move off of. I have to use a specific desktop to use, and part of that is if I have to pull in half of that desktop just to use that application. And that's kind of what's kept me out of, of, of a lot of KDE specific applications and why when I was looking at KDE, even though we're reviewing KDE, I'm not looking at the applications that are on KDE. I'm bringing my own application. So I'm not using, um, uh, I'm not using their mail client. I'm using Thunderbird. I'm not using their text editor. I'm using G edit. Um, and I, 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 there, I guess, um, I guess that's not entirely fair since I suppose Gedit is is was originally a function of GNOME, um, so I don't know that that's that's totally consistent. But uh, that's I no, guess I that's kind of how I look at it. I also I also kind of enjoy the fact that I think as uh, as Wayland gets closer and closer, we're going to have a couple of desktops really getting that right, and I think GNOME and Plasma are going to be one of them. So I'm kind of kind of interested in getting in there right now. Um, because they're really, you know, Martin, and he's been blogging about it on G+, and on his own blog. Uh, I got links to a couple of really great updates he's posted. You know, he's talking about getting transparencies working, proper window stacking, fine-tuning, positioning. You know, I mean, he's really kicking ass on getting Wayland support rolled into KDE. And so I think, and KWIN, I think, you know, it's almost worth learning this desktop now just for that. And I think... Maybe if I stick with it, I can, like, maybe I can, like, I don't know. Maybe I'll figure out the exact sequence of events that causes my audio to go crazy. And maybe I can come up with a workaround. You know, I, I eventually figured out how to get it to send audio to the right device. Just mm-hmm. took a lot of consternation. <laughs> so I, I, don't, I don't know. That's, like is, a, that's, that's been, like, years-long struggle, too, by the way, for anyone that's, uh, well, <laughs> that's just tuning in. That's, that's been and it's really that's thanks to the new UI features they exposed. And, yeah, it's, anyways... Uh, and so, uh, I guess I walk away from this going, don't know if, don't know, I'm going to use it as my daily driver for a little bit. I don't know if I'm recommending the five Oh, the five, five Oh release for people at this point, unless you're all in already, then it's, it's an obvious slam dunk. And <laughs> there are enough improvements that if you've had problems in the past, it's worth checking out. It It is worth, it is worth checking out. Um, I don't, I'm not as emphatically blown away as I was say with cinnamon last week. Um, I felt just... the same. I felt the exact same way. Actually, I guess I said that on the pre-show too. The, the last time I looked at KDE, I felt like I was in a kid in a candy store. And this time, uh, that wasn't so much the case. Um, but I think that might just be because I'm starting to get used to KDE now. And not so much yeah. there's anything wrong with this one as compared to the, the last uh, release of KDE that we looked at. 
One of the things I guess I do like is I do feel like they're, they are working in areas that I feel like need work. And so because I see consistent progress, I, I give them quite a bit of credit. You know, like if, if some of these things were complaints, uh, I don't know. Like they are consistently working on the look and, and they're working on the performance all the time. So, I, I, yeah, I think it's worth looking at. I wish I was more enthusiastic. I'm sorry, but that is sort of where I stand with it. The Plasma 550, I think is is in good shape but uh i i just i just had a little bit too many weird things happen to still be completely comfortable with it but i think it has been well i mean all the other ones we reviewed so far i didn't want to run it anymore afterwards after the review i want to get it off there and i'm sticking with this one for a little bit so that's worth something so there you go that's the linux action shows look at plasma desktop 5.5.0 And that brings us to the end of this week's broadcast. Before we get out of here, I'm going to thank System76, creators of both the machines sitting in front of me. These bonobos, which are my go-to testing rigs, production rigs, there is literally no equipment I trust more in the JB1 studio. System76.com creates machines born, designed to run Linux, assembled right here in the US of A and shipped to you all over the world. Go unleash your potential and tell them when you check out the Linux Action Show Center. They got great desktops. Go get the Rattel. They have some crazy beefy ones, too, and they have the Meerkat. Oh, man, the Meerkat's great, and they have some great, great, great all-in-ones. Really cool stuff, different options there. Check them out, system76.com. Machines born to run Linux. If you want to stop fighting with your hardware and just want to play with your Linux, if you want to be able to just nuke, install, and play, or work in my case, system76.com. If you want to know, you're going to have long-term Linux compatibility, system76.com. You want that out-of-box experience? System76.com. Go check them out. And a big thank you to System76 for sponsoring the Linux Action Show. All right. Uh, you want to take Drew's email there, Mr. Noah? Sure. Drew writes in about MB and others. Hi, guys. So I've listened to the back catalog of episodes and just picked up the most recent November 2015 issue Hey-o. of the Linux format for ideas for a media server. Nice. Now, I'm fairly new to Linux, but I see the upside and will never go back to Windows. So, I guess my question is, how do you go about moving your media files from disks to a hard drive? I think I can handle the rest of the setup, but there is very little info I can find about how to do this uh, or this one piece uh. of the puzzle. Thanks for the shows, Drew. Hmm. Now, Chris, I know that you and I both have pretty drastically different ways uh, and, and pretty drastically different requirements for how we move, yeah. um, you know, from yeah, optical media. Yeah, I guess we do, we'll just don't call- we? I would ask the chat room, too. The chat room, start, what do you do to get to back up your optical media? Um, yeah, we do, don't we? We do. Yeah. I, uh, so, I'll tell you, because yours is probably more in-depth. I'll just give you a quick, my quick one is um, make MKV, m- you know, make it, make, uh, make it dinner, and then uh, use make MKV. It is such a great way if you just want to take the content off of a Blu-ray or a DVD and just grab the video tracks and audio tracks and subtitles if you want them and throw them into an MK- MKV file, zero re-encoding, it is the same exact uh, H.264 file that came off the disk in an MKV wrapper. It's brilliant. Then, if you're like, geez, I don't want to spend 30 gigabytes on the Grinch, how the Grinch told Christmas, or Elf, or whatever it is you're backing up, uh, then, if you want, you can toss that MKV file through Handbrake, through Handbrake, right? Are you with me? And then use Handbrake to crunch that thing down to, like, anywhere between one gigabyte and, you know, 15 gigabytes, depending on your quality. And then I guarantee you, I, I give you my crisp personal quality anal guarantee 
you will not be able to tell the difference between that encoded file you did in Handbrake if you do set the quality right and that completely unencoded file. Reason being, big shocker for you, that thing you're backing up, it's already compressed. It's already been encoded. Most of the damage mm-hmm. is done. It happens, son. Sorry, they did that when they put it on the disk. Nothing you right. can do about it. It's not lossless. So what you can, you, you can either go with the high encoding they have or you can crunch it down a little bit more. I, these days, for the most part, just go make MKV. I call it good. If it's something that is not that good, you know, if it's something like for the kids that is like coming from VHS or it's already 4 by 3 or... VHS? Yeah, like something really old. Yeah, like Frosty the Snowman, you know, that the old Frosty the Snowman. Like I, you for real have VHS. Well, I didn't, but I got okay. a VHS copy from somebody and I just... Oh. Anyways, point being, sometimes handbrake makes sense for me. Sometimes it doesn't. Now, I, do you compress anything, Noah? Do you? I don't. I don't compress anything. I, I mean, it comes compressed, like you said. The damage has already been done. If you've ever worked in any sort of in any sort of production environment, and you see what the what's what size, you start with fifty, sixty, seventy, eighty, sometimes a couple hundred gigabytes, and then that could gets compressed down to like a four gig DVD, or if if you're lucky, a fifty gig Blu-ray. But um, your workflow works really really well for somebody who wants to really digitize their where you want a netflix like experience and you want that on your media server so when you click on batman begins the movie batman begins starts playing and that's all you care about because that that is what's there um and then of course i think with with make mkv you can you can pull if you wanted separate stuff off right i come from the approach of i want my media library to be indistinguishable from when I actually had the optical disc. So when I open my uh, my file, I want it to be as if I had just inserted a Blu-ray or a DVD into the drive. And so I use a built-in tool to Linux called Bracero. And Bracero is a disc burning, is primarily a disc burning utility, but it does have um, the codex necessary to take an image of a DVD or a Blu-ray and rip it into, uh, you know, like an ISO or, or, or an IMG file and then I use uh, little uh, media players made by Western Digital called Western Digital TV Lives, and they will open up that image file and play it as if I inserted a DVD into my DVD player, Blu-ray uh, disc into my Blu-ray player. I get all the menus. I get all special features. I get all 17 languages that I'll never listen to. I get um, <laughs> uh, you know all, all the little extra content so like the director's cut. Here's why stuff. I don't do that uh, because you see what you're doing, Noah, is you're solving yesterday's problem. Hate to say okay. it, but uh, okay. systems now systems like Plex and MB, you can mm-hmm. just give them that file, and then if you're looking here, say you got a movie you've backed up, like Guardians of the Galaxy. Now this uh-huh. is just a straight up MKV file, nothing else except for the video track and the audio track in that MKV right. file, right? Uh huh. You scroll down here. Look what I got. I got all the DVD extras, every single oh. one of them. I've got the trailers, right? Because the media, the media software like Kodi, like MB, like Plex. You know, they figured out that's something people want. So now they just go get that stuff for you and you don't have to waste the space or time for it. So I'm just saying you might you might consider if you modernized and got off that old Western digital clunker. All right. Well, hold on. Hold on. Before you make fun of me, before you get fun of me, before you make fun of me, let me ask you this. Let me ask you this. I can take my Western. When we move, we move into the new house. Oh, yeah. yeah, We move to the new house. Okay. Uh And we sit down. And we have no internet because there is no there is no there is no network connectivity. Uh-huh. As house built in 1960, and have the internet in 1960. Nobody was even alive then, and so Fact. I had my kids who wanted to watch movies. And of course, we have no server, we have no network, and so I took all of the movies I thought they would like, and I put them on a USB key, and I stuck them into the my 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 stupid little Western Digital box and connected it to a TV, 
And all I had was AC power, and I plugged yeah. into yeah. the AC power, yeah. and boom, they had access I know, to all their videos. I know, I know you you got Reek High on your whole campaign. He's trying to get me to get one of those things for the rover. I know, I know, I know. That's nice. That's you wouldn't nice. need a media server, man. You'd need a little... Yeah. You know, hard drive plugged uh-huh. in with all your stuff. Uh-huh. So tell me how that's a centralized library that has watch and play locations. Yeah, that's well, the that, thing. That has, hold on, hold on. It does have that. Like if you, as long as you, as long as all the, all the independent players have access to one central location to read the media files from, yeah. you do get, uh, you know, played and all that stuff. Okay. But you're yeah. right. It's not, it's not, it's not as robust. I have a 2016 prediction for MB. you. Are you ready? Okay, all right. At the end of 2016, you'll be okay. using MB or Plex, and I'll okay. be using something like the Western Digital Live. That's my <laughs> prediction. <laughs> okay, all right, all right. Then adding to that, then adding to that, you'll be on Firefox, and I'll be on Chrome. Oh, come on. That's crazy. And, and hold on, and hold on, and one more, you'll be eating real, authentic Southern barbecue. Stop it. And Stop I'll it. be eating grilled steaks, calling it barbecue. Now, you knock it off. Now that you're going crazy, that's ridiculous. That is, come on now, damn it, Noah. Lies, lies, lies. Listen, if you'd like to send us in your feedback, go to jupiterbroadcasting.com slash contact, linuxactionshow.reddit.com. Hey, Noah, did you know that people can find you online if they do a little Googling? You, sir, are not anonymous. They might find a site like altaspeed.com. Watch yeah. out. They they do. In fact, uh, I was, I'm actually working with a community member. Um, he, he, uh, he, he emailed me, called our company, and said, hey, I'm looking to manage an outside uh, PBX system. I'm sick, sick of I'm sick of doing it in house, and we would like you guys to take over that. And so we set that up, and and so far so good. I I, I think everything's going pretty well. We're going to make a couple little changes here to accommodate some of the things they're trying to do. But um, yeah, there's been a couple people that have reached out and said um, we we like Linux. We want to support Linux. We want to use Linux. We just don't have time to do Linux, and you do. So you come do some of that. And so we've had the opportunity to do that, and it's been a lot of fun. It is very nice. Uh, LinuxActionShow.red.com if you want to leave us some feedback like others did on our Mint episode. We got a lot of good feedback on the subreddit that people say, well, I'm glad to hear Mint being talked about not as a noobs distro, but as actually a distribution for high-end power users. And other people uh, tried out Cinnamon for the first time. So uh, if you didn't get a chance to check out our Mint review, go listen to last week's episode. Uh, We covered uh, the new Mint and Cinnamon release, and uh, we were pretty impressed. And uh, thanks to your pain and others in the subreddit, who really submitted some great feedback. You can do that, too, at the subreddit or at the contact page. Also, we'd love to have you join us live. Go to jblive.tv for that. That's on Fridays. You can go to jupiterbroadcasting.com slash calendar to get that converted to your local time. You see how we do that? Follow the network at Jupiter Signal. Don't forget about that swag. You can find out more on the Twitter feed there as well. All right, everybody. Thanks so much for tuning this week's episode of the Linux Action Show. And we'll see you right back here next week. Basically, so a hotel that I work for got bought out, and um, new management company comes in, and the guy goes, uh, well, uh, you know, I'm not sure exactly what's going to happen here, because uh, we have an IT company that we usually work with, and we're pretty happy with them, so we'll, we'll kind of see how things go and whatever. And we, speed since 2009, we've never lost a customer. And so... Uh, I I just I don't really want I don't want to have to I don't want that to, to have to put that uh, that notch in my belt and so I've just I've been kind of working extra hard the last week and a half to try to make that happen and you know I was going on and, and he saw my laptop and so um, I, I was going through and I was explaining how we do things and why we do things and you know and trying to make the case that we can do things less expensive and and more efficiently and he looks at my laptop and he goes what is that and I said uh, that, that's Linux and he goes what's What's Linux? Uh-huh. And I said, it's, you know, it's, it's an operating system, you know. And so I started explaining to him, and he goes, 
you know, like 15 years ago or 20 years ago, I was, uh, I was, I went to school for computer stuff, and I think I remember them talking about that. That's like a spinoff of Unix, right? And I'm like, yeah, kind of. He's like, yeah, yeah, I, I remember that. That's the one, like, when the hackers hack into your computer, then <laughs> they don't, they don't, they don't, they don't use that one. Like, they'll bypass you. And I'm like, exactly, because there's, it's like the hacker code of ethics. You don't hack somebody that has Linux. He's like, yeah, yeah, I, I heard of that. And like, it turns out. The guy is actually really, really, really computer savvy, just, you know, a little dated. And so and so after and after working with him for about a week, he's like, yeah, I kind of changed my mind. You know, you guys actually things are going really well. And so uh, I guess that's a that's a score. But uh, then then I went back to him and I'm like, well, so since you like Linux, here's what we should do. We should put Linux on your computer and you should run it. And then we should put Linux on uh, the, you know, the, the front desk computers and then put Linux on the server. And then the software that has to run on Windows will just virtualize it. And he's like, yeah, we could do that. Let's do that. And so that's what we did. So I consider that the most geeky thing I did this oh, week. Oh yeah, you've been you've been virtualizing a bunch of Windows boxes, huh? I virtualized six different vir- uh, Windows boxes. This and the great thing is they've I've cut their hardware down to practically nothing because there are six quote unquote computers, but they're all running on one physical box, and then they just RDP into into that. And I think there's I'm not I am not Windows proficient enough to uh, uh, you know to 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 do this right off the bat, but I have to believe there's a way that we can reallocate those resources so that there can be one Windows client that, like, six users RDP into. Hmm. But it wasn't working very mm-hmm. well when we did it that way, and I don't yeah. know why. Yeah. Oh, cool. That's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. I, I felt it was geeky. Yeah. Yeah, it's nice to get them on the Windows machines. And uh, how do you remotely manage the virtual machine? Well, I do it. I can use uh, Vert Manager, and then I'm seeing the quote-unquote local desktop. Um and then they're using RDP. How does Vert Manager remote, remotely connect to the virtualizer? I think it's I think it's utilizing VNC, but it uses some some trickery. But over the is it doing, are, you, are you doing like a VP? Oh, okay. It's doing it over SSH. So Vert yeah. Manager connects to the to libvirt D over SSH, and then it does it it does trickery to get uh, VNC to you know it encrypts VNC and then sends it over the the, the encrypted tunnel. Uh, yeah, I don't. Yeah. I I just I can't. I don't. You know what? I feel like I'm being talked down to every time I go to a yeah. website. And I feel yeah. like, do you think I'm so stupid that I don't know what a cookie is? And first of all, here's the two things. You either give zero shits about cookies or you know what a cookie is. It's it's yeah. like it's that. That's right. There's there's yeah. nobody who's kind of like, hmm, well, this, time, this warning has made up my mind about cookies and now I'm going to take a stance. Like, that's not what happens. Right. Nobody's doing that. It's just one more ugly thing on your website that I have to look at that gets in my way. That's another thing. And if you got ads too, then we're just doubling up now on stuff, aren't we, everybody? It's a click party. As soon as you get to the website, I hate it, Noah. I hate it so much. Yeah, I I think part of this is uh, we have to. I, I don't know how to name this. I think we should name it. But your uh, your wonderful ability to review things very carefully. I think it's why you do such a good job when when you when you're asked of your opinion of something is also a curse the rest of the time <laughs> because then you notice all this stuff and yeah. you're like this, yeah, this you cookie, like I promise you I promise you nine, 99% of the chat room right now is going well, I guess that's kind of annoying I've never really thought about it though but yeah now that you mention it I suppose it's kind of annoying you're like you're you know what you remind me of you remind me of Sky Mall magazine all the stuff in there is the stuff that you you never like they had eyeball massages on the way home from yeah. denver like yeah. it massages your eyeballs and i'm like and they're like are your eyes ever sore i, I like close my eyes and i think about it. i'm like well a yeah i guess now yeah, they are they are a little yeah, yeah uh-huh and yeah. then they're like wouldn't it feel nice if there was some i'm like <laughs> yeah actually that would kind of be nice and for and, and for only like 29 dollars plus shipping they will ship me eyeball massages and i'm like huh 
I could kind of go for an eyeball massage now, but I would have never thought of it had they not mentioned it. And I feel like that's you. I would never think about the cookie thing, but now every time I see it, it'll bother me. So thanks.